Welcome to Raising Our Voices on 3CR. Um, this is Pauline, and today I'm talking with Jane Rosengrave. Hello, everybody. Jane, today we're going to talk a little bit about um, what you've been up to today. Um, uh, Jane's actually been to speak to members of the Australian Senate. Um, the Senate have a community affairs committee, and they're doing an inquiry into violence, abuse and neglect against people with disability in institutional and residential settings. And today they were having some hearings um, and Jane um, was actually invited to go along and um, present evidence and be a witness to um, what's happened in her life. And... Jane, I was just wondering if maybe for our listeners you could tell them a little bit about what your experience has been and what you told the Senate today about your life in institutions. Well, I started telling my story on that I was six months old, um, taken away from my family, but under six months I was put into a Lambie and Trana and kept separate from the family because I had epileptic fits, which my mum discovered. And after that, once I turned six months, I was put into a home called Nazareth House Boys Home Sebastopol. All of us kids were put into there. Um, They were there only for about two months. I was there from six months old to five years old. And, Uh, Jane, was that because you had a disability? It was because I had epileptic fits. Mm -hmm. That's why. And um, when I was in the orphanage in Sebastopol, um, I was a problem child, which I didn't know. Um, I was always in trouble with the nuns and the nurses, and they used to even call me monkey word, which I didn't know then until I found out a couple of years ago when one of the nuns died. Um, I can remember that um, when you wet the bed, um, the nuns would um, fill the bed, the there was beds all in a row behind one another. There was a little gap for the nuns to walk down and they'll fill each bed. And the ones that were wet, you had to go back into the bed, have the sheets pinned over, pinned over your head with big safety pins pinned to the pillow. You had to stay there for an hour and smell your own urine and go about breakfast. And that was our punishment. And you were pretty young when this happened? Yeah, I was from six months old to five. That you were there. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty horrific abuse, isn't it? It is. Yes, definitely. And, I mean, we should probably just warn the listeners that some of Jane's story is quite disturbing. And, um, I mean, you know, Jane and I are nearly the same age and it's interesting to compare the experience, you know, of, of someone who lived in the community like I did to Jane's, which is just full of the most horrific stories of abuse and deprivation. So a warning to our listeners, it's not easy listening um, and, you know, but it's really important that these stories are told and that Jane got to speak to the Senate today is really great. Yeah, and I can remember that there was good stuff that happened there when we used to get boiled lollies at the orphanage and that and um, by someone who used to come and visit the orphanage quite a bit and I can remember the long stick which when we used to be naughty for the nuns and we used to get it across our legs, our hands, our arms, our back and that. And I even off a night time, I used to have a favourite nun called Sister Paul and I used to sneak up to her room 
and talk to her for a while while the other children were in bed. I used to sometimes get spoiled by her. Well, thank goodness you got spoiled <laughs> by someone, Jane. That's nice. You had a nice memory from there uh, as well as all the horrible ones. Yeah. So you went on from there after five. Where did you go? Did went... you go back home to your family? No, no, I didn't because the family lost bond with me because of my fits. Mm-hmm. And um, the nuns used to call me Jenny, which... I didn't know why, because it's in my file. But then, when I turned five, they were waiting for a, a vacancy in one of the bigger institutions, and it was the vacancy that came up was called Pleasant Creek Training Centre in store, which was not so pleasant at all. Mm. And that's when um, the nuns travelled, took me in the car, and travelled me down to Pleasant Creek, and that's when I saw all these children in the playground, and I thought they were my brothers and sisters. But Pleasant Creek's an institution that was for people with a disability or children with a disability, correct? Yes, it was. Before that, it was a hospital, but then it was put into an institution in the 1930s. Right. And so did you stay there long? I was there from 5 to 21. It was meant to be 16, but the government flicked it up to 21 because there was too many people without families to go to after 16. Mm. And that was the reason why. And there was things that happened there, which I remember. Um, I remember in the back dormitory that we used to jump over the beds, hide under the beds, sneak up to the boys' ward, and if we got caught, we will get into trouble. And we had to go on our knees and against the wall with our hands on our head and stay there for an hour if we got caught by the night nurse at night. And I can remember that we used to get the stick. Hang on a minute. Just So what you had to kneel on the floor with your hands on your head yeah, and against stay the like wall. that against the wall. Yeah, for an hour. Right. Okay, that's pretty horrible. It is. That was something that happened a lot. It did. Okay. It happened a real lot. Mm. Yes. And I can remember even when we used to get our nose rubbed in, if we with the bed mm-hmm. or with, you know, our pants, mm. and the nun and the nurses used to punish us and rub our nose in our, our urine. Mm. They did, and I remember that was our punishment because we, when we used to go to the toilet, we only had like a minute. And if we're more than a minute, we'll get punished. Mm. And even in that TV room, we had to sit in a corner. We had to, for the second mess to come back. So you, your lives were very regimented. You couldn't just go where you wanted no. to go when you needed to go there. No, that's why it was like a jail. Mm. You know, it was like prison. The staff telling you what to do, where you can go, what you could, you know, how long you've got. And if you didn't stick to those times, you were punished again. That's right, yeah. yeah. So you were saying they hit you with a stick as well? Yes, they hit us with a stick and the strap, Charlie the strap, and we used to get velvet soap rubbed in our mouth. If we swore at the staff or didn't do as we were told, we used to sit on the wet grass as well. Um, that was when we used to get rashes mm. on our legs and bum. And so that. you're talking about little kids at this stage. Yeah. You were in a ward called the Toddler's Ward, weren't That's you? That's right. And these are the punishments you were getting. Yeah. Yeah. And that. And um, I can remember that once you turn a certain age, like I was in Toddler's from when I was six, um, five to ten, but we used to go to Portsea too, and I was sexually abused there um, by one of the staff members at the age of six, mm. which I didn't know what was right and what was wrong. No, you were only a little kid. That's right, yeah. No understanding of any of that and um, staff were abusing the the trust. That, That's right. That 
you know, you had in them and that I guess the government had in them too. That's right. Because this was a government-run institution, yes. It was because the government never checked these institutions. Mm. They just thought everything was being run smoothly, but it wasn't. Mm. You know, um, they just thought that we'll be treated right, but we won't. No. You know, there was a lot of physical abuse, sexually abuse that was going on behind closed doors, and I was one of them. Mm. And it's great that you're able to tell your story, but I imagine that you would have known lots of other kids there who had similar things done to them. Definitely, yeah. There was heaps of them that had sexually abuse, and the boys too. Mm. That was sexually abuse, physical abuse. Charlie the Strap, there used to be children that used to run away there. Did and, they? Oh, yeah, definitely. Got caught. They used to get caught, but one person didn't because each car that went past, he would hide behind a tree. And when there's no cars, he walked, keep going for walks. And then he went to the train line and kept walking and walking and going to Melbourne. And then once, the, once he told his family what was going on, the family said, you're not going back to that place again. Wow. So you didn't actually know you had a family, though, did you, for a long time? No, I didn't. Mm. No, because um, once I was eight years old, I remember, um, I, one of the staff said to me in the dining room, oh, we've got some news for you, Jane. Um, do you know that your mum's just dead? Mm. And that's when I discovered that there was a family that was out there that belonged to me, but before I was eight, I didn't know. They didn't come visit, you never saw them? No, because um, I didn't. I thought the institution was my family. The, you know, the staff, that was my mum and dad, the children, that was my brother and sisters, until mm. I was eight, until I found out that but I did have a family. You didn't find out until she died, though. That's right, mm. yeah, mm. Mm-hmm. and that... And then later on you found out you had brother and sisters or yeah. half-brothers and sisters. Yeah, yeah. half-brothers and sisters because um, the reason why they have my half-brothers and sisters because I found out just recently, five years ago, that I'm Indigenous, which I'm proud of, mm. and that my tribe's from the Yorta Yorta. And even for the Aboriginals that are out there who are listening, um, this is on behalf of them too, that they were stolen from their parents as well. And taken away from their families and they're put into institutions and orphanages and they're even sexually abused and physical abuse too. So the people out there, this is for the Aboriginals, deadly. Do you think, Jane, that part of the reason was that you were Aboriginal child and that, that, and because you had a disability, that why you were left in the institution? Yes, it was because my mum knew who my dad was, but I didn't. Hmm. Mm. You know, and that was another reason why I was put into the institution too, because my family just lost bond with me. Yep, yep. They didn't want you, but partly the the state said they couldn't look after. That's you. right. Yeah. yeah, because we're all unfed and untied. You know, kept on yeah. in the yeah. nutty and all this. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, pretty rough life in the institutions, by the sounds of it. What do you think when you talk to the government today? They should do. Because there are still institutions open all oh, around Australia, aren't there? Oh, definitely. There's still institutions that are opening open today all over Australia. And Victoria was the first ones to close their institutions, but there's still three open. Mm. And we just want these institutions to be closed in the whole of Australia and never, ever to be built again. Because I can imagine if the government lived in these institutions and if there was sexually abuse and physical abuse, what we had to put up with, I can imagine... And if yeah. we if we swapped places and had the government living there and we live on the outside. Yeah, you sometimes do hear from ex-staff who say the institutions weren't so bad, but they didn't have to actually live in them, did they? No, they didn't. We're the ones that had to live in there and we had to shut our mouths and not say anything. Mm. 
If you said something. We'll get in serious trouble, mm. we would, and we'll be punished. We'll yeah. go to bed, like, for a week yeah. at five o'clock. And you were only kids and you didn't have the power. Somebody no. else had the power and you knew it. Oh, definitely. Oh, well, we didn't know, but I was, I was having the epileptic fits, but I was just frightened. All of us were frightened mm. of to say things to the staff because that's what it was like in those days. Mm. You were not allowed to say anything. You just had to be told what to do. Mm. It's pretty horrific, Jane, that, you know, kind of people are still living in those institutions around Victoria and Australia today. But why do you think it is that our government doesn't do something about it? Well, the reason why, because I just reckon that they just don't want to go, like, forward. They just don't, they just, um, like, these institutions that are in New South Wales, I know there's new institutions that have been built but they shouldn't be built. They should be all just closed because it needs to have those people in these institutions to give them a life on the outside because you only live once. Mm. And these children, these people who are in these institutions today need to move out in the community and just like CAUs or community houses and have a life out in the community instead of in the institution. Mm. It's too... Um Easy for the government just to say, oh, they're housed, you know, and, oh, we're bringing in some new rules so that, you know, abuse won't happen. But, I mean, the the ombudsman um, in Victoria just put together a report um, yesterday it came out um, looking at some of the privately run institutions in Victoria. They're called the Supported Residential Services. They're run for profit. They're a business. And they have between 30 and 70 people in them all around Victoria a lot in particularly the southern, you know, region of Melbourne. Um, And the ombudsman's looking at all these reports over the years. Time and time again, the department goes in and they're not giving people the right food. They haven't got the right health care. They're giving people the wrong medication. Breach after breach after breach. They never close them down because they're providing shelter for someone that if if this business wasn't doing it, the government would have to provide more public housing, they'd have to provide more group homes for people and they just don't want to cough up the money. Well, the thing is they should bloody cough up the money, I reckon, because they should give these people a chance to live out in the community instead of leaving them in institutions. You know, you only live once. You don't take the money to your grave. Yeah, yeah, that's true, (laughs) isn't it? Yes, but, um, well, it's good that you've been telling the government and we need to tell the Victorian government too and keep reminding them. It's a shame, really, that they don't listen because people have been telling them for a long time. When I went to put my submission together for this inquiry, I found a a, um, report into abuse in residential services that was done by the federal government in 1996, so that's nearly 20 years, isn't it? Yeah. And it was almost exactly the same things that they were looking at terms of reference, almost exactly the same. All the evidence was presented and all the findings were that, you know, they needed to change, you know, to more small homes and having more regulations that were enforced and they didn't do it then and you just question, will they do it now? They won't. No. They just won't do it. I think part of it, Jane, is that um, it's not just Australia but there's there's not an understanding of the value of people with a disability. It's discrimination, really. Oh, definitely it is, yes, because um, they just, I reckon they're just taking the lazy way out, the government. I just, that's why they aren't doing anything about it. Yep, yep. 
Yeah, they'll have an inquiry every now and again and say, oh, well, we've done something. That's right. But just having the inquiry is just the beginning. It's a load of bullshit. Sorry. Yeah. (laughs) If they don't come up with action, it it ends up just being a load of bullshit. I know I feel like going into the commission sometimes and just tearing up all the old inquiries and doing a dance on top of them because, you know, they don't do anything with the outcomes. That's right. Like, the government in those days when these institutions were open... Even like today, they don't check these institutions to see how things are going. Like in my days, they never checked the institutions because they just thought that the staff were treating us like ordinary children. And we weren't being treated like ordinary children. There was too many sexually abused, physical abuse going on. And then a couple of the people have been to jail anyway from where I was in the institution. I'm talking about the teacher and the staff, but there's heaps of other staff that sexually abuse children there. Mm. It's interesting because they are now checking a bit, like they have the community visitors who are volunteers that go in and check, but they write reports every year to Parliament, which Parliament ignores. So, you know, they have the checking going on now to a certain extent, but they still don't follow through. So the Ombudsman's report was the same. They went and checked and they've done it before and they've put reports in before, but all their recommendations, they can't force the government to accept them. They can only recommend that they accept them but the government has to actually take action and this is where it falls over because they never do well they aren't doing their bloody job i reckon they just probably look at the paper and then throw it in the bin and just forget all about it and get on to the more important stuff yeah like keeping their place in parliament that's right they think money's money's more important than closing these institutions down well what about if they were lived in these institutions and if they were sexually abused and physical abuse, what we had to put up with, I bet you they wouldn't like it. Well, that's that's the one good thing, Jane, about you going and telling your story to the Commission is that for a moment they have to sort of think about what it would be like to stand in your shoes. And I know they're not. They didn't grow up in those institutions like you did. But at least they hear from you what it was really like. And, you know, they may well have staff tell them the institutions are fine, but they have to then you know, hear what you've got to say and it's very hard to ignore that. And while I think of it too, um, the people who had parents too, um, I understand that their parents thought that they were being safe in these institutions. A lot did. But they weren't and Mm. there was a lot of this going on and that's why in those days the parents said, oh, no, they've been looked after, they've been treated right, and all of this, oh, we don't want to close this institution down, we want to leave it open. They feel safe here, but they don't at all. Yeah, I think that's true. A lot of the parents did think that and were told that. The other thing too is that um, because there's such a lot of people clustered together in an institution, there's bound to be fights between the residents as well. And abuse between the residents. Oh, definitely. And again, you know, you can't just kind of deal with each of those, you know, kind of fights on a one-on-one basis. You have to say, what is it we're doing here that's causing people to fight? Oh, yeah, we're clustering 100 people together under the one roof and forcing them to have to live together. And and they know that. Like, it's bloody common sense, isn't Mm. it, that you shouldn't do that because you're going to force people to, you know, there'll always be personality clashes and... There'll always be fights. But they still don't seem to accept that. that, They don't. And even especially for the ones who have worked in these institutions with the staff, they sometimes, when their institutions are closed, 
they still stay in the old same way and going in a CRU and treating the client exactly the same way as they did in the institution. And they are the ones that should not be working in these in these CRUs. They should be all bloody sacked. Yep, yep, agreed. If you don't pass muster, you're out the door. That's right. So we probably should just have a little break because we've talked for a long while and it's hard stuff. So just a little um, station break and we'll be right back yep. on Raising Our Voices on 3CR. Okay. Able-bodied Australia does not realise that people with disabilities across the board are being discriminated against. Then the government to demand that we go out and get a job without removing the disincentives like the lack of access to transport and community infrastructure, without providing accessible buildings that can provide barrier-free employment. I'm not getting a fair go and I don't like it and I'm saying so. You're listening to 3CR, 8.55 on the AM dial. Welcome back to Raising Our Voices on 3CR. Welcome back to 3CR on Raising Our Voices. Hey, Jane. So you and I have been having a a chat today about the inquiry into violence, abuse and neglect against people with disability in institutional and residential settings that the Senate of Australia are conducting and that you presented evidence today of your own lived experience um, and, you know, all the abuse and the neglect that you suffered, and we're hoping that they'll learn from that experience, yes? Yes, that's if they will read the pa- um, will read, read their stories. Did they give you a good hearing, do you think? Did, yeah? Yeah, I think they did, actually, today. I just told them what I know about what happened in the institution and what the good things were and about the concerts and all this. And, um, oh, and even with the Abbott Prison, when they used to come to the um, institution and play the bands and all that, I remember. I'm glad you had some happy moments. Yeah, well, there was. We used to have sports day and all that too, but, you know, that was, um, I'd say, three times a year yep. with the sports day on a weekend. And did you um, get any questions from them? Yeah, I got a couple of questions from the people who yeah. was listening. Yep. Um, they wanted to know a bit about whether you ever um, complained, whether yeah. you told anyone. Well, you weren't allowed to complain in those days because if you did, you'd be in serious trouble yourself from mm. a staff member and you had to just shut your mouth and people would not believe you if you did tell them. They'll think that you're talking out of your ass. So, you, so you, you told the Senate that in a nice way, I hope. <laughs> yeah, I did, but you know what I mean? I do. And, and you presented them with something. What was that? Oh, yeah, I presented them with a DVD called Hidden Lives and it was telling other people's stories and my story of living in these institutions in those days on what it was like. Yeah, that's good because there's about 35 people in that particular um, DVD um, who obviously they only heard from you, so it's good if they hear other people's stories who couldn't be there today. Um, not very many people with um, an intellectual disability who were in institutions would even know there was a Senate inquiry going on yeah. or have the opportunity to be able to go and tell their story. So at least with the DVD, if they watch it, they'll hear some of those um, very powerful stories. And, well, well you know. we didn't give the DVD to them for good looks. We gave the DVD to them for, to have a look yeah, at. Yeah, their homework. <laughs> So hopefully they watch it. Yes. 
All right. And um, and the other thing we hope, I guess, is that they come up with some good recommendations and actually make some action. Yes. Take, take some action. Definitely, definitely, yeah. yes. Well, I'm going back there today to hear some other evidence. Other people are um, giving their stories and making their submissions. And um, um, uh, hopefully later on today I'll get a chance to have my say too. And I'll be saying what you said, Jane, close all institutions. Yeah, bloody close all institutions in the whole of Australia. Yes, and this is for the Indigenous as well. Deadly. Yeah, thanks, Jane. <laughs> All right. Well, um, thanks, listeners. Um, if you do want to see a bit more about what we had to say at the Senate inquiry, um, we're putting the submission, including Jane's story, up on our website, which is amida.org.au. That's A-M-I-D-A dot org dot A-U. And, um, yep, yeah, go for it. Have a read and see what we had to say. And, um, and if you ever need any, if you want to, um, any queries or comments about the story, you can contact Amida on... On 96502722 or email us. We're happy to hear. Yeah, or if you ever want Jane to come out and do a talk to you about her story, out wherever you are, I'll be willing to do it. Deadly. Yeah, yeah. we can probably even get copies of that DVD, Hidden Lives, out to people too if they want. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, um, listeners, don't forget to tune in again to Raising Our Voices in a month's time. We're always the second Wednesday of the month at six o'clock. So that's it for us. Yeah. See you later. And that's it for us. And thanks, everybody. And thanks, brothers and sisters. Bye. Up next is Tamil Voices. Yep. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.